0: Welcome to another special edition of the Peristyle podcast focusing on the USC baseball program. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, alongside co-host Jack Smith, who can also catch on the call of some of the USC baseball broadcasts, both on KXSC student radio and on the Pac-12 network school broadcast. Jack actually made his TV debut over the weekend calling USC Saturday finale against San Diego State. So first, before we get into anything, congratulations, Jack. You're now one step closer to big-timer status.
1: I hope so. I hope so. It, it was a fun experience and uh, just getting one step closer to seeing this team at a closer level. And it was really an impressive week and I'm excited to to
0: break it down. Yes. Yeah, so now, now, Jack, I did call this a special edition Peristyle podcast, but we won't be able to do that next week because it'll no longer be a special edition podcast. Instead, this will become uh, will officially become a regular member of the USC football podcast rotation going forward for the rest of the college baseball season. We have uh, signed contracts and by in blood, you know and, and, and in pig's blood, I think I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Uh, but we'll, we'll officially be doing this uh, as we go, uh, hopefully each week and, you know kind of recapping what's going on the, and looking forward to what's you know happening the rest the week upcoming for USC as they continue to try to you know try to make their way to a regional this year. And we officially have a name for the podcast as well. So thanks so much to all the members of the Paris style who crafted some unique suggestions for a new name uh, of this year podcast. The, there were several that had to do with Andy Stankiewicz and, you know, the, you know, I loved some of those, but we wanted to keep it more, you know, more centralized. So after much debate, Jack and I decided the best fit was the Dado download a bit of a mix between the old school, of the legendary Rod Dado, author of 11 national championships at USC yeah, that's it's still five more than any other school has combined. Much less uh, one coach and the new school. The new school kind of media uh, consumption of media with a podcast download. So we're going to combine those a little bit. The Dato download. Thanks for the submissions there. A couple of people actually kind of submitted that one, uh, and they were stepping on each other's toes. So welcome to the newly minted Dato download podcast with Shotgun Sprightly and Jack Smith. We'll be recapping what happened taking a look at where they where USC stands and what lies ahead for Andy Stakowitz and his team. We'll also be mixing in some of your interviews, some interviews in the future weeks, and we'll be answering some of your user-submitted questions each week. But it's obviously important to get you guys to listen. And we need the, the next group of people to listen. So make sure you're rating us, reviewing us, you know, giving us five-star reviews, and make sure that you're, you're subscribed so that you are not going to miss out on any of these or the other USC football podcasts. Obviously, we have such a great collection of different things from – the recruiting podcast, the two-star composite with Gerard and Chris Trevino, to Harvey Hyde, the, the coach, you know, giving his old-school takes, to, you know, Chris and Ryan breaking things down and, you know, always uh, having a food analogy along the way for for Ryan there. So we, make sure you're subscribed and, and, you know, following along as well. But let's start with this team. Let's look back at what happened. So, Jack, 4-0, big week for USC. What we said last week, we kind of did a midseason re- recap. And said, hey, going forward, they just got to take care of business when they play a lesser team. And that's what they did this week. You know, they played LMU in the midweek. They played San Diego State in a midweek or in a weekend series, kind of an off week, a non conference weekend in the middle of your conference schedule because there's only 11 teams that have baseball in the Pac 12. So it's, you know, you get one of those mixed in there, but they took care of business. What did you think of USC going 4 0 this week? What stood out? And and you'll kind of give us a, a recap of those four games. Yeah, I think
1: what stood out is what you mentioned, where we said this is a big week for them because we're going to see, are they the kind of team that plays down to the competition? Are they the kind of team that can keep it rolling? And I, I think if you told us during last week's episode, hey, they might go two and two this week, maybe they'll go three and one. I think we would have said eh, that that checks out. They haven't been great in midweek matchups this year. Uh, they're non-conference. They've been good, but they somehow been better in conference the fact they went 4-0 and and it's a 4-0 and where it's not like many of the games were particularly close the closest one was 11 to 9 but that was after LMU pinch hit like eight guys in the last inning scored a crazy amount of runs off uh, USC pitching that and a catcher playing right field so USC had pretty much said that this game was over, gave up some runs in the ninth inning. So none of the games were really all that close. They only allowed four runs all weekend in the San Diego State series. So what really shocked me and, and what I took away most from it is this is a team that realizes the position they're in and they're not going to slow down for anyone. And going 4-0 in, in this week, especially leading up to the week that we're going to talk about coming up, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, those four games, USC scores 11 runs against LMU, 12 runs against San Diego State, and then 7-7 seven and seven against San Diego State while having terrific pitching on the weekend, like you said, well, you know, what was it, uh, six runs, four, or four runs, excuse me, four runs for the the three games, and USC has now lowered their team ERA to almost four, and that may not seem like the greatest number ever, but that's 24th in the nation. You know, they have a 4.02 ERA, you know, just offenses rule the, the day in uh, college baseball, so if you have anything that's Below four or five, it's decent, and if you have anything 4 or lower, then you're having a really good season uh, in college baseball, especially with the way homers are up this season. So USC actually ranked 24th in the nation in ERA. They are 15th in the nation in WHIP, which if you don't know if you're not a baseball aficionado or you're not, you know, you're kind of a casual, that's walks and hits per inning pitched. So, you know, they're giving up. 1.2 base runners per inning, basically, which uh, you know isn't the greatest number, but in college baseball again, that's a really good number. There's only one or two teams that are actually below one this season. Um, that's kind of the the you know Hall of Fame standard. If you can be below one consistently, then you know you're doing really well. Because USC now has three shutouts in the season, they're 20th in the nation with that. So you know we've talked a lot about their offense and how good their offense has been. But that's been the biggest difference maker right now is this pitching staff is getting the job done. Now they're still a little thin on depth, but what was your your biggest observation about the pitchers this week and seeing those guys? You know, you called all four games, three of them for radio, one of them for TV, you know, getting a, a chance to see basically USC's entire staff this in a full week, you know, who stood out to you and, and what's kind of been impressive about the the pitching staff from what maybe you saw a little bit earlier in the season to what you're seeing now?
1: Yeah, I'll start with a stat for context. San Diego State, after scoring the four runs in the first two games of the series, that was the lowest total they had scored through the first two games of a three-game series all year. And in total, when the series was over, they only scored four runs. So that should just show you how dominant the Trojan pitching was all weekend. And you say, you know, who stuck out? It was pretty much everyone. All three starters were great. Stromsborg gave up back-to-back home runs. I believe it was in the third inning, solo shots. But other than that, he was nearly pristine. You had Kaden Aoki go the next day, turned in a career day himself, and he stacked three straight starts in a row. I think his current total sits at 16 straight Innings without allowing an earned run. He gave up one unearned run in the first inning after a little bobble in center field by Austin Auvergne, but he's thrown 16 straight without allowing an earned run. And then Eric Hammond had a career day as well. His last two starts at home have really been phenomenal. So, you know, only allowing four runs in a weekend with the bullpen being as good as it was, and the starting pitching was Even better. I mean, you just can't say enough about the way that the Trojans pitched this weekend. You go back to the Tuesday game. Yeah, they had Jaden Agassi on the mound. And that's a guy who if you were to point out one person uh, as a pitcher that's struggling, it would be him. Uh, And then you had Jason Sterles come into the last inning, as I mentioned, where the Trojans had a catcher in right field. The other LMU was pinch hitting. I think it was six guys in the ninth inning. So both teams had just agreed that the game was over uh, and LMU just tacked on a bunch of runs in the ninth. I believe the inning started, uh, I think it was 11 to five and they scored, what would that be? Four runs in the ninth inning and threatened with more. So it became a closer game than the Trojans wanted it to. But really all four games, the USC pitched well on the one guy who. Didn't pitch all that well was Agassi, but everyone else uh, had major contributions and really just continued to progress over the weekend.
0: Yeah, Kaden Aoki came back from an injury, actually. Um, and, you know, I think he missed a week, maybe two in there. And he was a little bit slow to get going this season just because he was, you know, having some, you know, he was a little bit slow to start, uh, you know, with some dealing with some soreness and whatnot. But since he's come back from an injury on, you know, March 18th, and they brought him back really slowly at two innings uh, against Cal and then four innings against Washington state and then five and then six, the last two starts 17 innings without allowing an earned run. So, you know, that's been a huge boost for him because that's been the guy that subbed in to that spot in place of Jay Agassiz because Agassiz has been struggling. Uh, but like you said, Eric Hammond, I thought he was really good for him. And, you know, looking at the stats, didn't get a chance to watch much of the Saturday game. But, you know, five innings, no runs. And the fact that he threw 76 pitches, so they could have went longer with him. But, you know, they went ahead and said, all right, let's, you know, go to the bullpen. Let's make sure we're locking this up. And that bullpen, the guys that they brought in in that game in particular have been really good. And, and the two specifically I mentioned, I want to mention Arcaden Connolly, You know, he went in an inning in third without allowing a hit. Eric Clark, and then in the two-thirds without allowing a hit. Fisher Johnson. So you got four innings out of the bullpen after Hammond with no hits allowed. Um, and Garrett Clark has been fantastic at the back end you know they've used him some as a as a closer they're kind of doing a dual closer um, you know situation with him and Kyle Wish have been the two guys that have you know have have racked up the most saves for them Um, and just depending on the situations and whatnot but both of them have been really good for USC and Josh Blum actually gave up a couple of runs this week after he'd been you know so lights out for him so the bullpen continues to be really good for them and it feels like you know, they have four, five, six guys that they're confident in, which is a really big thing in college baseball is having, you know, a number of guys. So if one guy just is having an off day, you can go to someone else. And I thought it was a big, big thing on Tuesday for Michael Ebner to get out there and get an inning. Um, And I don't know what you saw from him, but, you know, that's his first time, his debut, getting a chance to, to be out there for USC. He's dealt with some injuries and whatnot. So him being able to get on the mound, I thought was a real positive for USC as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it it's good that USC is in a situation where they can afford to bring these kind of guys. And I, th- I would say the one problem they have right now is these high-leverage guys that they are throwing haven't had too many chances to get into games because everything's been relatively low-leverage. low, low leverage. But yeah, to see a guy like Michael Emner come in after you know not being able to pitch so far this season, that they're putting themselves in a position, especially in a midweek game, which have not been their forte this year, to pitch some of these guys that they really want to get innings in low-leverage situations so they can just learn and pr- progress and get better... It is a situation they weren't in earlier in the year, and they weren't in the last couple of years. So it's it's a big uh, progression for USC.
0: So we talked about the pitching. It was fantastic, especially on the weekend, and that's going to be the big key. If they can pitch well on the weekend, they're going to be in every uh, conference series, every Pac-12 series, and then it'll come down to the offense. And the offense has been really good for USC put up 37 runs this week. That's over nine runs a game in the four games. Uh, USC is now scoring, I believe it is 7.7 runs per game. So that's, you know, 56th in the nation. That's not, you know, that's a a really good number for them, especially from where they were in the past. You know, they're hitting really well. They're all in the, you know, that 50 to 60, 70 area as far as national ranks. And that'll get the job done because they do the small things, the little things really well, too. I, I think that's one of the things that's really stood out about this group. But when they score 37 runs, you score over nine runs a game. You know, it could be multiple guys that stand out. Who stood out to you this week? Who had a really good week for USC? Yeah, there,
1: there's a couple of guys, and it's kind of like when one guy would have an off day, someone else would step up. And uh, you, you look back, there were a couple of big highlight games. I think it was in the Friday matchup. Johnny Olmstead was a triple away from the cycle. He had a single, a double, a home run, a walk, and a hit by pitch. So he was never retired. Cole Gabrielson had a day where he hit a home run, also had a two RBI single. Austin Overn hit his second home run of the year, and and it was kind of... Everyone had at least one day in the weekend where they went off. I know Nick Lopez had a day where he hit another bomb, which was good to see him back uh, and, and getting going because him and Gabrielson had been a while since they put one over the fence. So getting the power out a little bit, as well as you mentioned the hitting with in the big situations, that's something that stuck out to me over the last month or so for USC is whenever there's two outs or two strikes or a runner on base, runner in scoring position, those are the times that they get the hits. And it, it feels like every time that they are hitting, their hitters are coming through and whenever they're pitching, they're really able to limit other teams with runners in scoring positions. So it's been the swing of momentum and they've been, they've been the team that's just getting that hit when they need to. And it's happening consistently every single game, which to me is a sign of good coaching. It's a sign of a good offensive approach. And it's a sign of players that are really bought in and feed off of their teammates.
0: Yeah. The two guys that stood out to me were the same two guys. It feels like every week uh, with the way they've been going, but Cole Gabrielson and Austin O'Vern, I mean, O'Vern, scored eight runs, I think it was, this week. So out of the 37, they scored. Eight of them, you know, almost uh, a fourth of them were from him. Uh, Gabrielson scored six runs, I think it was. He scored in all four games, same as as O'Vern. Gabrielson, again, showing the power, had a home run this week. You know, he's been pretty consistent. He's, you know, basically getting about one homer per week is what has been averaging out to be. Uh, He's been fantastic for him in that three-hole. And, you know, the the big thing is – can he cut down the strikeouts? Because that was the thing early in the season. He was swinging and missing a little bit too much. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on going forward. But both those guys are hitting above 340 now. Auvergne uh, bumped his average up from 330 to 349. So you have a true freshman that is, you know, just it has been excellent for them. And it's it's interesting. You talked about he hit a second home run this season. You know, we, we've talked about how the, the speed and how he's got the triples, um, you know, but – it, it's not just that. I don't remember if it was if it was Friday or Saturday's game, but he led the game off with a bunt single. Then he still second, and then he comes home to score on a single that's not you know not anything that's really deep. It's just the speed there and how it changes the game. So now he's adding a little pop with the second home run. Yeah, obviously, you can get the ball in the gaps and run for days. So he is just doing so much uh, for them at the top of the lineup that he continues to impress. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, there's eventually some one of the one of these. Pac 12 teams is going to figure out a weekend and just going to have his number. You know, it happens to every freshman. One uh, conference opponent will figure out something. All right. And then it becomes, okay, can the next team replicate it? Can the next team replicate it? Can you make an adjustment to what they do? So I'm curious to see when that weekend happens, when he struggles one weekend, just can't get anything going, how does USC do? You know, how do they do without their leadoff hitter getting a bunch of hits and, you know, kind of causing the havoc he can? but then can Austin O'Vern make the adjustment so that it doesn't become you know a, a prolonged slump and it's just one one bad weekend or something like that. Yeah, I think that's something that's going to be interesting to watch going forward as well.
1: Uh, and when that weekend comes, I think it's it's worth noting that he will still be a very valuable player for USC given his speed and his ability to play center field. And there was an article written about him this week in the athletic where Andy Sankiewicz was kind of Frank and saying that coming into the season, USC didn't have much outfield depth. And the first time he saw over play was on a football field running routes and said that basically if he can catch a fly ball, he will be in the Trojan lineup. And so he can do, obviously, as we've seen so far this year, a little bit more than catch a fly ball. But whenever that weekend does come, if he's not hitting, he's still going to be a guy with speed at the top of the lineup. He'll be a bunt threat, and he will play a good center field, as we've seen for the majority of the year. So he'll be valuable no matter whether he's struggling at the plate or not. But it is, it is pretty striking that he has gone consistently this whole season and kept up the pace of what he's been doing the entire season. He still needs that one triple to set the record. The home run just barely got over the over the wall and I thought it was gonna bounce off the top and be the record breaking <laughs> triple. So I, I was uh I was calling it and expecting it to be the triple and then got over the fence and it was his second home run. But another guy I wanted to highlight that I forgot to mention before was Bryce Martin Grudzalonik a guy who just a couple weeks ago was hitting two two ten way low his batting average had dropped. And he went on a nine game hit streak that was broken on Saturday because he was hit by a pitch twice. So two less at bats to, to Homer and but raising his average up all the way to above 280, I think 285. Uh, He went 15 for 35 over that nine-game hitting streak, two doubles, two triples with eight runs batted in, and he only struck out twice. So he's a guy where... The second base position, I'd say, during the midpoint of the first half of the season was their weakest position on the field. And once he started to hit the ball, he's moved up into the two spot. And it's it's made a real difference because now you you feel pretty solid about every single position on the field. And if he's able to hit the way he did in the Maris series, which he balled out in that series, but then uh, was really struggling after that, that's, that's a big turn of events for USC.
0: Yeah, I think him, but another guy that we haven't mentioned, Adrian Colon Rosado. You know, he's a guy that was a veteran that led the team in homers last year and just really wasn't finding a spot in the lineup consistently because he wasn't, you know, producing. Um, and, you know, the outfield, not that the outfield is loaded, but they have four guys for three spots basically. And C- Colon Rosado is not the, you know, the, the best fielder of that, that mix. So he's not going to be in the lineup just for his defense. So if he's not hitting, you know, you're not going to keep him out there, but this week, you know, he, he's, he hit in all four games. He drove in runs in three of the four games. Uh, he hit a homer in one of them. So I think that's a big development for USC because he hadn't homered yet this season. So he hit his first homer on, uh, I believe it was Tuesday, Tuesday or, or, or Thursday. Um, so I think that's a positive development for USC as well to see him get out there and produce uh, produce for the offense too.
1: Yeah, and, and you can use him in the DH spot, which they did at points this weekend. You, even, you did see him play left field, which – for me at least being at, at home games, was the first time I had seen him actually playing in the field this season. They gave Carson Wells the day off to start on Saturday's matchup, which normally would be the Sunday game because Easter was on Sunday. It was moved up to Saturday. So he's getting a lot more playing time and a guy that seems like he's really growing into his role. And if if he's a platoon option for you and he's hitting above 300, we know he has power uh, and we know he's got some pretty good bat-to-ball skills. It's a pretty good luxury to have considering this was a guy who – even though he struggled in conference play last year, was a guy that USC relied on to be one of those middle hitters of the lineup. So it just shows you how much this lineup has grown and the roster has grown, that a guy who they were relying on to be one of their best players last year is is not having trouble to see the field, but earlier points in this year wasn't quite seeing the field as much and, and now is really having to earn that spot, and, and he is. But it's just really telling of how
0: far this roster has come. I would also say the catcher position that was a big concern for USC going into the season. You know, they brought it. They basically didn't have a catcher on the on the roster. Um, you know, that had any experience coming into the into the season because you know they are going into the off season because everyone transferred out. You know, you had um, you had Tyler Lozano go to Creighton. You had Garrett Gillamette go to Texas. So they bring in Connor Aoki, you know, brother of Caden Aoki, Connor Aoki from Binghamton, has some experience, you know, as a veteran back there is not a big bat or anything, but he had four hits this weekend, or excuse me, had three hits in two games this weekend. He's got a a three game, a little mini three game hit and streak. Um, You had Connor Clift. At uh, you know, threw out a couple of guys behind the plate. He's batting 354. Jacob Galloway, the freshman, is barely playing, but you know he's made the most of his few opportunities. He's three for seven on the season. So uh, I think the the catching position is another one where they thought it was going to be kind of a black hole and didn't know what they were going to get out of the position at all. But it's been a, a positive for them. So I think that's that's the the things you know you expected that Gabrielson would be a dude this season, and then after that there were kind of question marks. he said okay, you will get some decent production out of guys like Olmstead and Lopez. You didn't know. Uh, you know, what you're going to get out of Bryce Martin, but you know, had some expectations. Same thing with Colon Rosado. And then you just gotten some, some big time development out of some of the other positions, including Novern in center field and including, uh, you, you know, that catcher position that was kind of an unknown coming in. So I, I think that's another thing that's really helped them a lot too. You know, cause it's a lot different when you have a lineup where nine guys can get a hit legitimately can get a hit versus seven guys can get a hit. And there's two kind of just like, all right, those guys are out there for their defense and nothing else. Um, and, which is sometimes the case in college baseball. So I think everybody in the lineup can, can do something for you. And, you know, I think USC's done a good job of protecting the guys that aren't the strongest hitters as well. So we'll see if they can keep it up. You know, once you get into the thick here of some really good teams coming up that, that can really pitch the ball, we'll see how the offense does there, but let's look at where they stand right now. So USC, Enters the top twenty-five last week. They entered Baseball America's top twenty-five. Uh, since I work for D1 Baseball as well, we consider ourselves the you know the the upper echelon, the the number one uh, place for all college baseball information. They entered our top twenty-five this week. USC is also in the Collegiate Baseball uh, News is top twenty-five at number twenty-four in the USA Today at number twenty-four. They're in our rankings at number twenty-three at D1 Baseball and in Baseball America they're twenty-first. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable to see a team with the talent that was on the roster, you know, just looking at a piece of paper coming into the season. The fact that Andy Stankiewicz was hired so late, he in the top 25. But that's, you know, that's the job that the coaching staff has done. That's the development the players have done, you know, taking upon themselves to get better and better as the seasons have progressed. This is the first time, you know, I know our D1 baseball ranking, so I can speak on that best. This is the first time USC has been ranked in our D1 baseball ranking since the first couple of weeks of the season in 2016. Now, USC was also ranked in 2015. I think they, we fi- they finished in the, the top 25 rankings that year um, or right outside of it. But, you know, first time in seven years that USC has been ranked. So, you know, big shout out to Danny Stankwitz and the staff and the players for what they've done so far. But that's kind of that's dramatic to me. And I think that's, a, you know, really telling of the potential of this team, but also the direction of the program going forward
1: yeah, I, I remember talking on, you know, Tunnel vision this year and talking about the football program. is like people sometimes gotta remember this is a team that went for an eight last year. But even then, coming into the year, we knew Lincoln Riley was going to have them ranked and probably ranked pretty highly at some point. I mean, they started the season in the ranking. so it it made more sense. This time, it's a team that, it was last in the PAC 12 last year really has, has just not been the same since I think 2015 was the last time they made the tournament. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, you know, 2016, the last time they were ranked. So it's, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a different deal that way. And then also you mentioned 80 Stankowitz being hired so late in the process. Everyone knew when Lincoln Riley came in, this is a guy like he will bring them back to the rankings. He will bring them back up high in the rankings. Andy Stankiewicz, people like the hire. Of course, he brought GCU to to, to new heights the last couple of years, but it's not as certain as bringing in a guy like Lincoln Riley for football. So the fact that in year one with a roster that uh, was last in the Pac-12 last year had some changes, but also, I mean, they didn't bring in a guy like Caleb Williams either to be in the rankings this year and to be in the position they are right now is I would say even more uh, of, of, of a big leap and of a, of a shock in year one than football is by a large margin. And it's just when you extrapolate over, okay, now they're going to build these recruiting classes going forward based on the success that you've seen this year, you can really see this this program starting to trend in the right direction. So it's, it's a big shock, um, but it's also I think truly deserved at this point in the season – Because they're handling their business against the teams they need to beat. And they're playing very well against teams that everyone thought would be better than them coming into the year.
0: Yeah, USC picked 10th out of 11 teams in the Pac-12 in the preseason poll. So that tells you everything about the the coaching job and the, the development of the players and whatnot. So, where does USC stand as far as the rankings? That's where they are. Where do they stand as far as the standings? So USC is right now nine and three in conference. Obviously, they did not play this week because they played San Diego State. So we had a couple of teams that you know got to the same amount of games as USC. Stanford and Arizona State are now 10 and 2. So they have passed in front of USC as far as the win-loss column as well. So USC is right now sitting in third in the Pac-12 which is, you know, is, is crazy through, you know, five weeks of the conference schedule, the four for USC, uh, you know, and five total for, for everyone. Um, so they've got some work to do. You know, you're four weeks in, that means you have six more weeks to go. So you're almost halfway uh, for, as far as USC playing their conference opponents, but nine and three in a great position, if they can get to 16 and 14 or better then they're not locked to be in the postseason. But their resume, if you can be above 500 in conference play in a conference like the Pac-12 that has six to eight really good teams – um then then it's going to be and en- it should be enough to get you in the conversation to be in the postseason so that's something we'll look at going forward each uh, each week is to see all right where is USC where are they at as far as the rankings where are they at as far as the standings and we'll also look at the RPI because the RPI is what you know, you is what college baseball and the selection committees go by. You know, in, in football, you have the college football playoff committee; they make everything, all the decisions. In basketball, they use the net ranking a lot. In baseball, it's RPI. And when the selection committee comes down to it, USC is moved up 15 spots in the last week um, in in the RPI, which is a positive. When you go four 0 that helps. Uh, they are now number 72. Now, 72 is is outside of where you probably need to be to be in the, the, in the postseason to be selected as an at-large team. Now, there have been a couple of West Coast teams because it's harder with the RPI because there's less teams. It's harder, and everyone kind of plays each other, so it brings all the RPIs kind of back towards the middle a little bit. So the committee often gives a little bit more leeway to the West Coast team. So we've seen in the past – Uh, A couple of teams that have made it with high 50s and low 60s RPIs. USC right now sits at number 72, so still a little bit of work to do there to be an at-large team. Uh, But if they continue to win the Pac-12, that's only going to go up and increase. And if they can you know, make sure they don't lose any more games like UC Riverside, games that just kill your RPI, then I I think that will help them going forward. Because USC, unfortunately for them – you know, Marist is a team that normally is pretty good in their conference. Uh, you, you know, and usually competes in that conference and you know wins. But they are really struggling this year. Marist is a team that's all the way down number 278 in the RPI out of 305 teams. So that tells you they are having a terrible year. They're just not playing well. They're four. They're five and 24 so far this season. So if they somehow get on a run, that'll help boost up USC's RPI a little bit. But you know, you expected them to be you know around 200. Uh, 150 to 200 because you know they they're a team that has had success in the past, and especially in their conference. But they have just been very bad this year. And then UC Riverside is another one. USC lost a game to Riverside, which stands out a little bit more. And they're number 255 in the RPI. So those were, those games just playing the Marist series hurts USC because of how low that that Marist is in the rankings this year. Um, and then UC Riverside losing that game is really bad for USC. So they got to eliminate any of those really bad losses especially those midweek games are are when they matter. But we'll talk about the difference between midweeks and how the committee views losing a midweek game versus losing a weekend series and how that all kind of, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but let's look at what USC is going to be, you know, who USC is going to be playing this week coming up. The Trojans have another four game week, your common, you know, common week in college baseball. Okay.
1: Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: Tomorrow or Tuesday, you know, tomorrow from when we're recording this today, if you're listening to this Tuesday morning, they will host Cal State Fullerton. Cal State Fullerton playing much better, a team that has struggled the last couple of years, but is playing much better this season, just coming off a real big series win for the for the Titans. Playing, uh, hosting UC Santa Barbara, who's the preseason pick to win the Big West, and Cal State Fullerton lost the first game, but came back and won that series. Really big for them. You know, who else lost their opener and came back and won a big series? Oregon State, who USC will play this weekend. They will travel up to Corvallis, always a tough place to play. One of the toughest places to play in the Pac 12 because the fans really come out there. Um, but they'll play at Oregon State. Uh, and that'll be, that'll be a, a, an interesting series and one that'll, you know, may tell us a lot more about this program going forward. You know, they did beat Stanford, USC did. That was at home. Now, what do you do when you play a really good opponent on the road? Can you go and find a way to win a series? If they do, that'll tell me a lot more about this pro- this program and where what this team's chances are this season. But, uh, Jack, what stands out to you about the two opponents coming up? You know, playing Cal State Fullerton, always a big matchup to traditional powers that seem to both be kind of getting better and, you know, kind of coming back into their own, um, you know, with what USC and Fullerton are doing. And then, you know, always a tough matchup going up to, to Corvallis.
1: Yeah. I'm going to do more digging into the rosters as, the, as this week progresses. But one thing that sticks out to me instantly is where they're playing each team. And normally, you know, playing home games, you feel good about it. Cal State Fullerton team that's been really, really good on the road this year. They're 7-2 and two on the road, so seven of their 16 total wins have come away from home. And then you mentioned going to Oregon State, which conversely, it's really hard to play up in Corvallis. Uh, right now, Oregon State this season is 9-4 at home, and it's one of those situations as you mentioned. The fans are out there. It's a tough environment. And even though Oregon State isn't playing completely up to their normal standards this year, uh, they're 20-11, and 11, USC's 20-10-1, so they're around the same level. Oregon State normally... Won- one of the big powers in college baseball, they're one of those teams that can always just turn it on in any given weekend. So th- those are those are two things that instantly stick out to me. And it's a week that I agree with you. This week is probably going to be one of the more defining weeks of this season for USC.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of could potentially could be a turning point, as in you turn it on, uh, you turn it on, and you take off, or suddenly you hit that wall and you know you you have a bad week and you don't respond to it well. You know Oregon State's coming off a week where they lost the opener to Oregon. Oregon had an 11-game win streak. Oregon State came back and won both of those games. Micah McDowell is a kid who doesn't hit a lot of home runs, had a three-run homer on Friday for them. And then they won a, a low-scoring affair on a Saturday, um, if I remember correctly. But you know their pitching has been really good. Trent Sellers on Fridays, Jake Kamatz on Saturdays. Um, you know, and they've kind of mixed and matched a little bit on Sundays. Jaron Hunter's been probably the, the most consistent guy there. AJ Lattery's pitched some as well, the lefty. So they, you know, they've got they've got dudes, uh, as always. Um, and in their lineup, they've got Travis Bazana, who's a kid you want to watch. If you're a USC fan, you're gonna want to watch this kid. He's he's a left-handed second baseman from Australia. And he's just fiery. He's fun to watch. He's going to be all over the place. He might be in some USC players' faces. You you never know. Um, And then the other kid to watch that is going to be a superstar eventually – but has struggled a little bit so far this season. His freshman, Gavin Turley, the outfielder for Oregon State. He's got five homers, 15 RBIs, but only batting 241 right now. But he is a sweet, sweet swing. I think he's eventually going to be a superstar. He's going to eventually figure it out. You just hope it's the week after you play them instead of the week that you are playing them. Uh, And then the Cal State Fullerton, a couple of guys that, that stand out for them. Carter White. The outfielder, he's batting over 400 for them. He's been fantastic. He has been a hit machine for them. Um, And then Maddox Latta, you know, it's a a fun name to say. He's their second baseman. He's been a pretty consistent performer for them as well. And they do a lot. They, You know, it's classic Cal State Fullerton, old school. They do a lot of small ball. They can beat you in different ways. Um, And, you know, they've been through the ringer this year. While some teams play, you know, play a lot of cupcakes early in the season, Cal State Fullerton, you know, hosted Stanford. They played Michigan, they played Texas, all in their opening weekend series. Um, So they've been battle-tested already a little bit this season. So they're only 16-10, and but they are better than that record indicates because of the opponents they played. So they're a team to watch out for too. So that's what's coming up this week. That's your little preview of uh, the Trojans and what they will face coming up for them. But now let's jump into a couple of questions. You guys had some questions. You guys had way more questions than I even anticipated. Thank you so much for sending those in. If you have questions going forward, you can either email to podcast at uscfootball.com, or I believe that I'll have to check on the email. I'll put it on the bottom of the story here um, if you want to email in. But you can always DM me on Twitter. You can DM Jack. You can put it in a thread on uh, the Peristyle as well. So, uh, you know, Plenty of places that you can get these, and so we got a, actually a, a couple questions from different places. You know, I got a I got a DM from Ted. He said, "Shotgun, hope you're well. After listening to last week's podcast with you and Jack, I just heard you say that midweek games are not as important as weekend games. Why is that the case? I'm a baseball novice. Let me show. Uh, let me know. You know what I'm missing here, basically." And so I, I said this last week that you know the, the selection committee will look at midweek games versus your weekend games a little bit differently. Now midweek games, you're playing, you're playing a lot of local teams. You're playing, you know, you're going on a road trip to Texas. Okay, well you're getting in a game against somebody else that's just in the area type of thing. Um, so there's different ways that you kind of schedule those midweek games. But the difference is that in college baseball, your best pitchers pitch on the weekend because those are, that's when your conference series are. So therefore you line up all your best pitching for the weekends and it's all about winning series. In one game of baseball, anything can kind of happen. You know, you see one game and that's why, you know, traditional baseball fans have such an issue with like a one game wild card situation, you know, because one pitcher can be immaculate and, you know, change the fortunes of an entire season for a program. Right. Um Well, that It's similar in midweeks. Anything can kind of happen. If you go and look uh, tomorrow, or, you know, there's going to be several. You'll see that there are probably three, four, five upsets that are top 25 teams that lose. And, you know, it may be Kentucky losing to Eastern Kentucky or, you know, Bryant beating Connecticut or something like that. Like those game it just happens. Last week, Connecticut, you know, was a top 20 program, uh, top 20 team. They lost to Columbia. They were up twelve nothing and still lost to Columbia because the wind was blowing out. It's a small field to center field in you know in the middle of New York City. They couldn't build a bigger field at Columbia, and so if you get it up in the air and it's blowing out, you hit a bunch of home runs. And that's what Columbia did. Those weird things like that can happen. So the committee, you know, not to, to say the committee doesn't say okay, well you had the same set of circumstances, but the committee gives a little bit more leeway or more correctly, instead of leeway towards midweek games, they get a little bit more prominence to the weekend games because that's when you know everybody's facing the best pitchers, everyone's in the lineup, you're not resting anyone, anybody in the midweek. And that's when you – it, it's not even, you know, the number of games you win on the weekend, it's can you win a series. And I say that that the committee – uh champions this a little bit more because they've said so. They've said so in their, you know, in their you know, post-selection show interviews and stuff. They'll be like, well, we like this team because they hadn't lost a weekend in the last two months, type of thing. So they may have gone two and one the entire time and you know their record is 660, you know, the win percentage is 66. And they may have lost a couple of midweeks along the way. So the record doesn't look impeccable. But if you win your your weekend series You know that shows that you're a complete team, much more than just one game during the midweek. So there's a little bit more precedence put on the 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 weekend games rather than the midweek. So that was one that I got from Ted. So I wanted to answer that one since that was something I said last week. Jack, I don't know if you have anything to add on that, but you know, you what's been your kind of take just seeing coming to college and seeing the midweek games versus the weekend games?
1: Yeah, I mean it's clear that USC, not that. I don't think it's teams put more importance on the weekend games. Like I'm not going to say they, they completely sell out for those weekend series, but you're always lining up the best pitchers on the weekend. USC has been mi- mixing and matching some of their uh, midweek game starters. Like we saw Agassiz start this week. You mentioned last week, uh, Blake Sodersteen is a guy that's pitched really well for USC. He's really one of the keys. Um, he's sometimes thrown those midweek games. So they've been mixing and matching those because they're, they're trying to stay healthy. They're keeping the arms fresh. For those big series, and if you're talking about the series being an important thing at the end of the year, that is beneficial for USC because they haven't lost a series since that Auburn series, and that's the only series on the weekend that they have lost all year. So if they keep rattling off wins in these weekend series, that's five in a row right now. That's that's a big deal for them going into hopefully for them the the tournament.
0: What's really fun with the midweeks is when you have a team like. A Stetson or a Georgia State or something, and they have a dude. They have a Friday guy that's, a, you know, going to MLB draft prospect. And whatever, there's a rainout or something, or they don't pitch very much. They bring them back and use them against, you know, Stetson's playing Florida State, or you know, uh, you know Georgia State's playing Georgia Tech. And because they want to prove a point and get that big marquee win. So sometimes you, you see some some mixing and matching that way that uh, you, you wonder about, you go, okay, what are they going to do this weekend when they have an actual conference series versus, you know, trying to get that marquee win against a bigger bigger uh, name program. So there's some different things that happen with those midweek games, which makes them uh, a lot of fun to, to follow as well. Uh, one Another question we had was HK Trojan said, I'm curious about the grounds crew who rake the field during games. Are they volunteers, employees, parents? Do they just bring somebody in off the street? Jack, you got a little background on this, right?
1: I do, yes. They're they're far more than just volunteers off the street. In fact, they are I mean, you, you would consider them to be one of the more prestigious grounds crews uh, and one of the more experienced in all of the country. And and they really compare themselves to a true major league grounds crew. It's led by Scott Leupold. It's a three person staff. He's the he's considered the director of sports turf. But they USC did a, a social media video on them earlier this year. The three person staff run by Leupold. 50 plus years of major league baseball experience, 70 to 75 years of college baseball experience. And they were, you know, quoted as saying that they attempt to keep the field not just on par, but better than local parks, Peco Park and, and Dodger Stadium. So they're, they really hold themselves to a high standard. They're very experienced in both professional and collegiate uh, grounds crewing. And they, according to Andy Stankiewicz, I, I, he said in the quote, I, I think it was, they don't stop. So they, are really dedicated. They're very experienced and they're
0: far more than, than just volunteers. And Dato field has a, a really great playing surface. If you talk to opponents, they will tell you the honest truth about playing surfaces, whether people are just like, I hate playing here or I love playing there because you get true hops. So your infielders want an actual hop. Um, I went to a place recently, I won't name the name and the opposing coach was just like, I asked him about the field and a couple hops they got. And he was not very happy, we'll say, after the game. Uh, but USC, you know, Marist, I talked to their head coach, uh, you know, after they played at USC, and he talked about how just immaculate the grounds the grounds were and the field and the playing surface and how well it played, especially coming from Marist where they don't get to get outside a ton before the beginning of the season. So they were super excited about playing on such a, you know, a professional field like USC has. So, yeah, definitely shout out to the grounds crew there. They do an amazing job. Some of those guys I know double dip and work – you do the Coliseum ground screw stuff too, and they do an amazing job as well. So shout out to our ground screw people. I, I give them a lot of shit when uh, you know there's turf flying up at some fields. Uh, like if you remember the Super Bowl, that was god awful. But uh, when when the ground screw does their job and you know it does really well, you have to make sure you, you give props too, And USC's definitely do that. Frisco ninety five had a request rather than a question. He said, "Can we get a quick run through of our future conference and who sticks out as potential challenges?" A future conference would be the Big Ten, and I could. I feel like I can give that answer because you know I'm I'm the uh, aficionado over here in Big Ten country now. Since I was, you know, I just had this premonition of USC and you should like go into the Big Ten and decide to move over here early to do some early scouting of fields and programs and whatnot. So the the Big Ten, real quick, just just uh, you know, the, it's a conference that kind of rotates the power teams. No one stays in power for very long. And it's kind of interesting the way that happens. But, you know, you'll have a couple of years where Minnesota was great and then Michigan was great. And Michigan had been the one pretty consistent team and the one team that made it to the College World Series a couple of years back, the championship series against Vanderbilt. And that was because of Eric Backage, who I think is one of the best coaches in America. But he's now at Clemson. So the team that's been the the team to beat is actually the last couple of years is Chris Trevino's Maryland Terps, actually. Uh, I just saw them playing Rutgers this past week, and that was basically a matchup of teams that were battling for the regular season title last year when I saw them play, whereas this year Rutgers has kind of fallen back a little bit. And two years uh, uh, ago, neither one of those teams would have been even in that conversation. So, you know, I think Rob Vaughn at Maryland does a really good job, but they've got a couple of elite players. Matt Shaw is a first-round pick for them right now. Um, and, you know, so they're a team to watch out. They've been doing a really good job going going – Uh, the last couple of years under Rob Vaughn and he's turned down some different job offers as well. His name was actually brought up in the USC search. Um, So, you know, he's definitely doing a really nice job. I think Rutgers under Steve Owens will continue to be a team that continues to rise, but then you have Michigan. They've been really good. Indiana is traditionally pretty good in baseball. Uh, They're having a really good season so far. Iowa, Iowa gets these random, they get these country fed boys that are just throwing gas like Bro- Brody Brecht was a scholarship wide receiver who just gave up football because he throws 97 to 101 miles an hour off the mound, and he's going to be, you know, a top round draft pick. So he decided, I think I'm going to focus on the baseball aspect of it. But they've got a couple dudes that just light things up. They had a kid, a D two or D three transfer last year that was 95 plus, uh, short, uh, small guy, just pops out of nowhere. So they, they come up with some guys. They're a pretty consistent contender. Um, and then Illinois is usually in there as well. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, it kind of rotates a little bit. So every two years or so, you feel like another team kind of pops to the top. So we'll see if, if there's someone else that comes in before USC and UCLA get there or if USC and UCLA can become the preeminent programs in the Big Ten. You know, with the, the history of the programs in the Big Ten – Versus USC and UCLA, you would expect USC and UCLA to be in the top four or five immediately when they come in if USC continues the trajectory they're on. But like I said, we'll see what the rotation kind of goes in the Big Ten and how much does that travel end up affecting USC and UCLA. We'll be talking about that in the future for sure. Trojan Lights had a question. Are there two or three things different that the coaching staff are doing that can be attributed to the Trojan success so far this year over what was missing from our teams in recent years? Jack, you have you noticed anything uh, that really stood out about what the coaching staff's been doing?
1: Yeah, you know, I've mentioned the last couple episodes that I think when you see what we're talking about when it comes to hitting with runners in scoring position and doing the little things right, that's a that's a pretty clear reflection of of an increase in coaching. The other things I want to mention, is there's a couple of things on the pitching side that really stick out to me. One is the development of the bullpen, because there are a lot of guys that are throwing very well for USC this year that weren't great options last year. So the development of the bullpen has been something where each guy is is coming out with something new this year and they are looking much better. And that's the sign of, of good coaching. And of course, you've got Seth Etherton who's won, uh who won College World Series at USC. He was a national player of the year at USC a good guy to listen to. If you're a USC pitcher is a guy who's been in your shoes and he's done it before and done it very well. So uh, the bullpen is sticking out to me. And then when we mentioned Etherton, there's one thing that really stuck out to me from this past weekend, which is in Eric Hammond's start, he gave up a couple base runners in the first inning. And surprisingly, you don't see too many mound visits this early, but Etherton went out to him in the first inning. It was a quick little discussion. You had runners on first and second, two of the faster guys in the lineup. And I don't know what he went out and told him, but it clearly worked because after that, uh Hammond didn't allow a single hit for the rest of his outing he was really dominant after that uh worked quickly worked in the zone got ahead of batters and didn't allow any runs in that first inning and so that's just that like when you can have that calming presence from a guy who has been at the school who's done it before and been very successful to go out there calm the pitcher down a sophomore coming off Tommy John his last year former top prospect and whatever he said to him clearly worked. That that's sometimes the sign of good coaching is a knowing to go out there in the first inning, which is earlier than most coaches would, and then also making it worth his while by having you know Hammond after that dominate for the rest of his outing. So that was one thing that really stuck out to me.
0: I mean, I think I would look at Tyler Strongberg and see the development of him. Um, you, you know, he had his, his ERA is pretty similar to what it was last year, but he was one in five. Now that you know, wins and losses are mostly team related more than just uh, the pitcher. But you should also note when it's drastically different. Last year he's one and five this year he's four and one um last year he was giving up more than a hit per inning he had 10 more hits than his 60 innings this year he's got 10 less hits than the 50 innings he's pitched so far he's gonna surpass his innings total you know uh, by next weekend um and he's strike he's already struck out more guys than he did last year when he had 10 more innings so I think the development of him shows you Uh, what USC is, you know, the coach staff is capable of. He's not a guy that anybody was on anybody's radar as, oh, this guy's about to take a big jump. It was, you know, it was just a, okay, he's one of the starters that's coming back. And you expect him to be in the weekend rotation, same as Agassi, but you've seen the big jump that he's been able to take. And, hey, he's bounced back really well from struggling in that Sacramento State start, giving up seven runs and four and a third. He's given up three earned runs or less and gone at least six innings in his last five starts. His last four starts he's given up two earned runs or less he's given up six runs total six earned runs total in his last four starts so you know I I think his development is showing you what this coaching staff is capable of and some of the other guys that may have started a little bit slow but have continued to get better and better as the season has gone along you know I've stood and watched BP uh, and you know I've said before that Travis Jewett's one of my favorite hitting coaches I love listening to him talk to players and you know working on different things I think that's where you see what a coach can do a lot more than just the results itself. So, you know, I was bullish on the the Travis Jewett hire to begin with. Um, and I think you're seeing the results of it, USC being a 297 you know, batting team this season versus what they were last year. Uh, so I, I think that you just see the development has probably been the biggest difference when they have probably less talent than they had last year, just over on the overall roster after the transfer portal and after the number of guys that left in the draft last year. So I think that's the, probably been the biggest thing looking at uh, for me to see, okay, th- this coaching staff is doing things differently as far as, the the uh, development and their execution. You know, when they ask somebody to get a bunt down, usually the bunt gets down. When they ask somebody, you know, to to sacrifice themselves, it's not like oh, I gotta I gotta do this for the team. Everyone's excited about it, and you see everybody picking everybody up. Those are things you want to see, and those are things that every coach is trying to see. But I, I think the little things. USC does a lot of little things pretty well. They put the ball in play, they don't strike out a ton. Uh, that's one of the biggest things in college baseball: is can you teach hitters not to leave the zone and chase because there's a lot of guys that have really good stuff and, you know, the strikeouts get way up there. But if you can just put the ball in place, because this is not elite defenses, this is not major league defenses, teams make errors. If you hit the ball hard and, and you know, hit it uh, and get it in play, you know, teams will mess things up if you, you give them enough chances. So by putting the ball in play, you give those chances. So I think that's another thing that's really stood out as well, how, how few strikeouts they have um in in comparison last year they hit 272 as a team now they're hitting 297 so we'll see how that continues to go the rest of the season and last question for this week and thank you again thanks again guys for sending all your questions please make sure to continue to send those in we'll pick out four or five depending on how much time we have each week but poncho cam said as we enter the heart of the schedule do you think our pitching will hold up and if so how high is the ceiling for this team in this sit for this team in that scenario i'll let you answer the first one jack what do you think uh do you think the pitching can hold up
1: I mean, it's hard to look at what they did this past weekend and think that it won't, at least to some degree. And one thing that, you know, some teams will hit, some teams won't. One thing that's constant is if you're not walking guys, if you're not making unforced errors, you know, out of the zone or right down the heart of the plate, it's it's hard for them to do too much damage. And I think that's something that even if, you know, certain teams hit the ball a little bit more, like say you're playing an ASU or an Oregon State down the road, and they are a better hitting team than, say, San Diego State or LMU, you know Trojans might get hit around a little bit more but they are they're limiting the walks they're limiting the unforced errors the hit by pitches the 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 errors behind the pitchers as well so even if teams hit a little bit more I think that USC is clearly so far that we've seen give themselves enough cushion where you know right now they're allowing really nothing and this whole weekend allowed only four runs so it's hard to say you know exactly whether they're going to hold up because we don't really know what the offensive production is going to be like from the other teams but they're doing the little things right right now and they're setting themselves up in a really good spot. And I think you can feel a lot more confident about them now than you could have earlier in the season last year. This is, this is when you feel the most confident in the pitching staff. So I, I, I don't think I'm going to be the one to say that they're going to get hit around when they play these better teams, because they've really been on a roll.
0: Yeah. Cade Naoki and Stromsberg have both been really, really good the last three or four weeks and an Eric Hammond really, you know, positive to see him go five innings, giving up two hits, no runs in that last start um, you know, and a couple weeks ago, he went five innings, and only gave it two runs. That was a good start against Stanford, four innings, no earned runs, one unearned run, six Ks. So, you know, he's had some bright spots. It's just finding the consistency for him. But you talked about the free passes. If you don't give up free passes, you, know, you can go a long way. USC has walked 108 batters so far this season. Opponents have given USC 154 walks. So if you're walking more than your opponent, that's a big boost. USC strikeouts per nine innings is up from last year uh from seven point five to eight point eight. So now their their strikeout to walk ratio. Their their walks are not too different from last year. They're down a little bit. Um, you know, they're 29th in the nation in walks per nine innings. They're giving up three and a half walks per nine innings. So that's 29th in the nation. That's a terrific number. Their strikeout to walk ratio is 36th in the nation, you know, averaging basically two and a half strikeouts to every walk last year it was 1.99. So, you know, taking some steps up there. And, you know, I, I think that if you can, you can strike guys out in big situations and you don't give up free passes, you're going to be in every single game. And, you know, with the offense, I think they're doing enough that you, you can find ways to win as well. So that's a big thing. USC needs to field a little bit better, you know, and be a little bit better fielding team you know, they've been doing a pretty good job, but you know, they, they have made some errors. So if they can feel a little bit better, uh, they can be even that much better too. So, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, so now the second half of the question, how high is the ceiling for the team in that scenario? If they continue to pitch, then this team can finish in the top half of the pack 12. And if you finish in the top half of the pack 12, you are going to make it into a regional. So, you know, it's going to be the first one since 2015, a lot, obviously, there'll be a lot of pressure. USC will more than likely be on the road in that situation. Um, you know, I, I still, even though they're third in the conference right now and they've been really good, I still don't think they're good enough to host. It, you have to be a top 16 team in the country to do that. I don't know that they're quite there yet. But, hey, they, they've proved me wrong several times so far this year, so we'll see how it goes. So maybe the ceiling of the team is that they host a regional. and If that happens, that would be something absolutely incredible for USC with, you know, the the fact that they haven't hosted – in over 20 years or close to 20 years i think it was 2004 2003 or 2004 was the last time i believe they hosted so it's been a long time for that and uh you know if they continue to pitch well then you know they definitely will have an option a chance to do that
1: yeah i mean it's it's hard to project i mean we're still surprisingly only halfway or a little over halfway into the season but if they keep going on the path that they're on especially in conference I believe they're still nine and three in conference they didn't play a conference game this week but still a really respectable conference record it's all going to come down to how they play against these other conference teams that they have yet to play you're talking about Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona State, Arizona these other teams that they just have not yet come across that some of them have had their number in the past. Uh, I think they went 0-6 against ASU and OSU combined last year. So it's it's really going to come down to how they play in these last uh, big conference series. That, that's really going to determine how high this team can fly.
0: Yeah, and, and again, it's going to be tough because you can be on a run in the Pac-12 like Oregon was. Oregon won 11 straight, and then they were in line to win their 12th straight. They were leading Oregon State on on Friday and a three-run homer changes the the entire uh, kind of uh, trajectory of the weekend, and then Oregon State wins the su- the Saturday game to take the series, and suddenly you go from eleven-game winning streak to two-game losing streak and a conference series loss, and now they're back in the middle of the pack as far as the you know the Pac-12 standing. So that's how t- quickly things can change. There are several teams playing really well. I've mentioned Oregon a couple times. They've been playing really well before you know losing the the two games um, in, in the in the, to Oregon State. Oregon state have been struggling a little bit and suddenly they turn it on the rivalry series and get a couple wins. UCLA have been struggling. They've got a bunch of injuries. USC will play them in two weeks. Go ahead and get your tickets. They're selling them online. I've got an email about it. So, uh, you know, they're really trying to push the USC baseball, trying to make that a great crowd would be great to see a number of people out there. Um, But you know, that series is going to be huge for USC and UCLA is going to be getting some guys back before then. So, you know, we'll see if they start playing a little bit better Washington was playing really well, and then they went and, uh, ran into you know a buzzsaw. So Arizona had been struggling; had lost, I think, ten straight conference games, and then they win their last two games to take uh, you know to take a series. Arizona State's been uh, been playing about the same pace as USC. I think Arizona State's won seventeen and nineteen, and USC's at like fifteen of eighteen or something like that. you know, very close, similar. So both teams really hot. So when they play, you know, how are those two teams gonna you know you know, factor into each other. Uh, you know, and that's always a, it's a it's a little bit of a rivalry. It was much so more uh, fifteen years ago than it is now. But you know, I, I think with two new staffs, you know, and you know, obviously uh, Willie Bloomquist and their staff know Andy Stankiewicz from his time at GCU. and He was basically neighbors to ASU. ASU did not want to schedule, did not want to play against Grand Canyon. You know, their their president at one point put out an edict that no one is to schedule Grand Canyon because they were not a fan of the school itself and whatever. So there was no games between those. So then when they started playing it presented a little bit more animosity. So we'll see if any of that cover uh, carries over a little bit for Andy uh, you know, going up against a team that used to be right down the street from him. So a lot of those, you know, a lot of factors, a lot of things, and we'll be discussing all that going forward as the season progresses. That's going to wrap it up, though, for this edition of the Dado Download Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to everyone who submitted a question and for everyone who's taking the time to listen. This is my co-host over here, Jack Smith. Jack, any last words for you? I would just
1: say uh, make your way out to Dado Field. I guess this is coming out Tuesday, so tonight, uh, and say hi if you see me.
0: Exactly. Go out there and see Jack. You know, you can pick his brain about football as well while you're out there. If it gets you out to the baseball field, then we'll let you talk a little football too. But that's going to do it for us, guys. Please like, share, subscribe, leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. And we hope that you can join us for the next episode of the Dato Download Podcast.